0: Welcome back to the Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna.
1: And I'm Dyson.
0: And this is Dark Adaptation. Welcome. It's episode 56. Happy March. Happy almost springing forward or whatever the hell we do.
1: Oh, we're uh, gonna spring so hard. I can't wait to spring forward. I'm sick of this shit.
0: Yeah, this episode. I was like, what? 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 This episode comes out on Monday? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and yeah, the next, in, in the coming weekend, we'll spring forward. Oh, fuck yeah. And the days will be longer, and then it will be spring spring Mm -hmm. is nice Mm -hmm. spring is one of i was gonna say one of my favorite seasons but i like every season except summer so
1: (laughs) (laughs) i like summer
0: i like how long the days are in summer i like summer nights but i fucking hate humidity i hate being sweaty Mm. i don't like sweltering in the sun i uh, was gonna say i don't like getting sunburns but i don't actually burn i just get a nice tan yeah
1: i burn enough for the both of us anyway
0: yeah but anyway that's like so far away it's just the like literally the 5th of march right now because we record last minute
1: (laughs) buckle up for the like one and a half weeks worth of canadian spring we actually get
0: i know because heather's fucking snow up to our hips right now yeah so much snow So thank you for joining us for our weather podcast and where we talk about seasons and how lucky we are where we live to have four. We
1: really oscillate between weather and just straight out nautical podcast. Ever since our first episode.
0: I like our really weird underlying nautical themes. It just keeps springing
1: up. Honest to God, neither of us have tried, but it just keeps popping in there.
0: You know, it doesn't this time. Nautical. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> Nautical, no. Nautical, no. I just feel a little crazy, feel a little, like, slap-happy. I feel a little just like I haven't heard my own voice in a day because I've just been so entrenched in this case. Yeah, that... you've, been,
1: you've been working hard.
0: Holy shit. This past week, it's been, like, probably, like, 25 hours. Oh, my God. Worth of reading, researching, writing um thanks a lot summer you requested this case (laughs) we are talking about like a pretty big one one that a lot of people like think they know about you know summer you've recommended the diets love pass good Mm -hmm. god what have you done yeah it is a big one there's so much stuff that i am learning about so this is just gonna be like the first part and um I don't even know, man. I just think I should start, because, like, good God.
1: Yeah, let's let's get it out of your system. Yeah, I'm
0: excited to start just pumping it out, putting it all into your brains instead. (laughs) And, like, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. In 1959, nine people were hiking through the Ural Mountains in Russia. Night was approaching, so they pitched a tent and settled for the night. What happened next is debated, but what we know for sure is that during the night, All nine of them fled the safety of their tent into the snowy darkness and perished in the freezing conditions. Some had succumbed to hypothermia, but others were found with gruesome injuries. These injuries, along with the circumstances surrounding their deaths and the lack of answers, led to conspiracy theories which spanned from aliens to radiation fallout.
1: Holy fuck.
0: Okay, I always got to do a little intro like that, you know, set everyone up for what's to come, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself because I wrote that.
1: No, it's their fault.
0: Um, <laughs> But like I had said, this is... Oh, shit. <laughs> oh my god, god damn it. Like I said, this is a big case. It is going to be done in multiple parts Mm -hmm. because we are doing a deep dive into the tragic and compelling case of the Dyatlov Pass incident.
2: Mm.
0: I I couldn't say deep dive any more firm because like it's just it is. Here we go. It will likely be our first three part episode. Dyson, did you know that?
1: holy fuck this could be three-parter i
0: think so wow i mean i haven't done writing yet Uh, i've managed to bang out this first part and i just feel like i've just gotta gotta maybe do three parts
1: you know (laughs) because you've done ones where you're like i'm pretty sure it's a one-parter and it ends up being like two full-length episodes at least i know yeah
0: you'd think by now i could easily gauge (laughs) what time frame we're looking at, but it can't. Well,
1: I trust you. If you say this is three parts, I'm betting it's gonna be fucking three
0: parts. It turns out to be nine. Oh my god. <laughs> That's too much. <laughs> okay. Um yeah. It's just because there's so much information. Plus I find cause this is the 1950s, like I find Cold War times and Soviet Russia just so fucking fascinating. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really gonna take you on this trek with this group of people, these hikers, and I'm gonna paint a serious picture. So, in today's episode, which is part one, we will discuss the hikers in Slav's group and the beginning of their trip, including the first part of their trek into the northern Ural Mountains. All right. All right. So, the first thing that we must know about when it comes to this case is the people involved. Their deaths, you know, are disturbing and they are the center of all these conspiracy theories and, like, holy fuck, is there a lot of theories but, you know, they were real people, so we're going to get to know them. And, Dyson, you might want to get a pen and paper, because there's a lot of Russian coming at you. You know,
1: I can't read.
0: <laughs> or write. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I learned when I was researching this case is that Dietlov Pass is named after the leader of the hiking group, Igor Dietlov. Okay. Another thing I learned is that undertaking expeditions like the one that this group is going to set out on was super common at this time, like I said, 1950s, especially with students at colleges and universities. There were often opportunities to both conduct research and participate in competitive sports like hiking and skiing and stuff through this club called the Sverdlovsk Hiking Club. Okay. So something people like to do.
1: Um Sverdlovsk.
0: Sverdlovsk. As I mentioned, the leader of this particular expedition was Igor Dietlov, and he was interested in the opportunities available through the Sverdlovsk hiking club. He was born on January 13th, 1936, in the city of Puv- Pervu or Ulsk? Huh. Pervu- or Ulsk? Yeah. He was, Igor was 23 years old. He was a fifth year radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnic Institute. From here on out, I'm calling it UPI. Okay. He was described as brave, confident, and passionate. He had previously been a member of the Bureau of the UPI Tourist Society, where he later was elected a chairman. Starting in January 1959, he worked as a part time assistant at the profession oriented academic department where he was later hired. In January 1959, he assembled a group for a hiking and skiing expedition across the northern Urals with the goal of reaching Goro Otortin, which is a mountain. Okay. Pretty sure Gora literally means mountain or mount. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're going to go on to that mount.
0: <laughs> can't wait to mount it <laughs> the group also planned to take samples of rocks and other geological formations while they were on their expedition the group was made up of the f- of the fellow
1: <laughs> do not tell ship me there's a fellowship going up the mountain
0: of the ring
1: nice <laughs> beautiful
0: so the group was made up of fellow UPI students okay so they were kind of a fellowship. Yeah. So let's get to know this group a bit. First, we've got 20-year-old Yuri Doroshenko, who was born on January 29th, 1938, in the village of Dvoretskaya, Polyana.
1: You know, if you're a listener and you're struggling to follow along, you are just a remedial student. <laughs> it's your fault.
0: Speaking... <laughs> Forget what I was gonna say. Yeah, speaking Oh, old oh, oh. <laughs> I got a mush brain. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's born in Dvoretskaya Polyana, Streletsky district, district Kursk region. But Kursk he, region. Kursk region. Yeah. Region. It means means province. I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, Maybe the little segments.
0: It's very very Soviet. So he moved to Reg in Svordlovsk region, province, Mm -hmm. during World War II evacuations. In 1955, he graduated from secondary school number 44 in the town of Reg. By 1959, he was a fourth year student of radio engineering at UPI, specializing in automation and measuring devices. As part of the board of UPI Sports Club, he was responsible for sports and tourism work, making him an excellent candidate for Diets Love's team. Hmm. Next member of the group 23-year-old Yuri Krivonischenko. Krivo well for shirt
1: uh, for, for shirt, shirt. <laughs>
0: This
1: is Krivo, he is our shirt
0: <laughs> This is Krivo's shirt
1: <laughs> Diet's love is very happy to have shirt
0: <laughs> Krivo's shirt Okay, so Krivo was born on February seventh, nineteen thirty-five. If you're interested, he's Pisces, in the settlement of Zura in Ukraine. He was described as funny, always joking, looking to amuse his friends. <laughs> Remind you of anyone? <laughs> Due to his father's work and then World War II evacuations, he moved a lot as a child. He moved to Kakhovka, Ukraine, in nineteen forty. Then Saratov, Russia, in nineteen forty-one. Orlask in 42, Orsk in 43, Chakalov in 44, Krasnoyarsk in 46, and finally, in 1949, he settled in the city of Sverdlovsk. So it's the region Sverdlovsk, but then there's also, in Soviet times, the city Sverdlovsk, which today is Yekaterinburg.
1: Okay, so like New York, New York. Yeah. Nice yeah also because we're calling him shirt i don't know why but he's (laughs) automatically short to me he's the light short one in the back
0: (laughs) i don't know how tall he was i really hope he's small in 1942 crivo aka shirt enrolled at upi to study civil engineering and by 1957 he earned his civil engineering degree specializing in industrial and civil construction In September 57, after earning his civil engineering degree, he enrolled in the military department at UPI, where he was a junior lieutenant of the Armored Forces, specializing as a platoon commander for medium tanks. The same month, he started work as a head foreman at Mayak Production Association, uh, MPA for short. So MPA is a huge name in Russia. It's one of the largest nuclear facilities in the Russian Federation.
1: During the Cold War. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Holy shit. -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In May 1958, he was transferred to another work area in MPA as a foreman where he supervised the prisoners who were building more nuclear facilities. Gulag. Gulag.
1: The prisoners building nuclear facilities. That's good.
0: Man, Soviet Russia, prisoners built most of the things.
1: Yeah, they were free labor. Yeah. Yeah. In 1958, in August
0: 1958, he tried to resign due to, quote, utmost reluctance to work in this system. But he was refused. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Trust me. There's a lot more details on that later. It's yeah. oh, it's a wild ride. But
1: it's so funny because, like, only Soviet Russia during the Cold War would you try to quit a job and they disapprove you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's easy for them too, right? Because they're the ones who are supplying you your education, your military training, all of that. It's on their like dime and time. So they're like, no, we don't have to because we pretty much own you. Yeah. At the, communism, man. At the end of 1958, a disorder. A disorder? No, that's what I have. A discharge order was finally signed. (laughs) And Crivo was moved to a new workplace where he was supposed to start on January 21st. I am broken. (laughs) I know. Deep breath. Okay. He was supposed to start at this new workplace on January 21st, but he took another leave... And additional days off for, quote, hazardous duty at the previous workplace. <laughs> he really fucking hated that place. Yeah, He ended up with a 29-day leave, which was starting on January 19th, 1959. So it was this. with this time he decided that he was going to go hiking. And he was an incredibly experienced hiker. He had earned badges, certifications. He completed training instructor courses at the Sverdlovsk City Tourism Department. He was qualified as a junior tourism instructor. And he'd been a member and a chairman of the Bureau, Bureau of the Tourist Club at UPI. So, if you want anyone on your team, it's Krivo. Yeah. So, of course, Slav was like, fuck yeah, Krivo, let's go.
1: Yeah. Come along, skirt. <laughs> Shirt. Skirt.
0: Skirt. Skirt. Okay. 24-year-old Alessand- Al- Alessandre. That's not right. Alessander. <laughs> Alex, Jesus Christ.
1: Alexander? Alexander? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm
0: trying to say Alexander.
1: (laughs) Yo, the struggle is real, just staring and trying to pronounce Russian, like, just solid Russian names.
0: I think I'm doing okay when I'm not just having a disorder.
1: Yeah.
0: Next member is 24-year-old Alexander Kolovatov. Coley, for short.
1: Nice. Alexander Coley. Coley. That's a dope name, actually. Yes. (laughs) That was a dope name, Alexander.
0: Right? Yeah. Why did it just get broken on Alexander? I'm not sure. I don't know. So, this guy, Coley, he was born on November 16th, 1934, in Sverdlovsk. In 1940, he moved with his parents to Tavda. They had to move because his dad was the financial director at a gulag. But in 1948, after the death of his father, the family returned to Sverdlovsk, and the dad was found dead on the railway tracks, um, supposedly killed by a train. But there was like it was just swept away quickly. There was no investigation into the death, and it was uh, pretty sus.
1: Yeah, that sounds very suspicious.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's gotta be a pretty sweet gig though, financial director for like the gulag. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep.
1: Amount owing. Still zero, guys. I don't know how you haven't figured this one out yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Really easy to do checks and balances in a gulag. Yeah. So, Kohli enrolled in the primary organization of the Sverdlovsk Mining and Smelting College and graduated in 1953, specializing in metallurgy of heavy non-ferrous metals, with the qualification of a metallurgical technician for heavy non-ferrous metals. Okay. Basically, he specialized in extracting pure metals that did not contain iron.
1: Gotcha. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. I do the hard work so you don't have to. Dark adaptation. Oh, you could hear... Oh, yeah. You're probably listening to me do pronounce, pronounce names.com. You guys want
1: to know how how <laughs> she gets broken? I'm sitting across the room and it's dead quiet after... And there's no typing. And then three times I just hear, Metallurgical. <laughs> Metallurgical. Metallurgical.
0: <laughs> I'm fucking dumb. I don't know how to say metallurgical without asking Google. <laughs> it's
1: not a common word.
0: No, I've never seen it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't live in 90, 1950s Soviet Russia as a non ferrous metal specialist.
1: Metallurgical. Met- <laughs> cue the communist theme song what would that be oh god i'll have to show you at some point
0: Shoo-bee-doo-bee-doo-wah-wah. no it's not the angela
1: <laughs> anaconda theme song
0: <laughs> i have it stuck in my head i haven't seen that show since i was nine i don't know why it's stuck in my head
1: oh you know what i'll play it for you You didn't salute.
0: Oh, well, you know, there's probably better things to do. Uh, I could think of other gestures. But (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that rendition. It's called Something Something Shitty Fluted. (laughs) All right. After graduation, Coley... He was sent to work as a senior laboratory assistant at the Special Metals Research Institute, and this institute developed and tested technology for obtaining metallic plutonium from nitric acid solutions for industrial production.
1: Just an easy job.
0: For sure. Yeah. He lived in Mos- Moscow for a bit, and in 1955, he had mastered his second specialty, glass blowing. <laughs>
1: You're fucking with me.
0: Glass blowing. I don't know. And oh nothing my. Else. I was going to
1: make a joke, like something conventional, like knitting.
0: I, I don't know if it's a cover, if like he actually went away. I'll tell you what, ever since we played shitty fluted version of the communism song or whatever it is, we have just been struggling. Yeah, someone's fucking with our audio now. We're getting, we're getting hacked
1: by the, the KGB now.
0: If we're getting hacked from the past. Soviet Russia is at us.
1: How you doing, Vlad? Do you mind if I call you there? Oh.
0: How you doing, Vlad? Hope you don't mind. I call you dad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Viper's Views. If you haven't heard of that, go watch that. That's some good shit.
0: Doesn't like carrots, does he? I fucking love that guy.
1: He's so funny. Oh, I think God. he's got a show on, like, on. He's got a show on TV now in Ireland. Like his whole, his own show. His fucking, whole own show. Yeah, I don't know if it's called Viper or something, but it's great. Anyway.
0: Anyway, glass blowing. I don't know. You said conventional, like knitting or something. I'm not really sure if he even did glass blowing. I didn't hear anything else about it, and read anything else about it. Yeah, also. It might just
1: be a fucking like,
0: yeah. Maybe he's into espionage. He's and a it was...
1: he's a spook. <gasps> yeah, he's a goddamn
0: spy. No. Yeah. Not not Coley. <laughs>
1: not Co- if anything, Coley is a spy name. I know, right? He's I, like, was like, I was a like a spy that sounds... to seek
0: to for vengeance on his murdered father.
1: Oh, that's dope.
0: Coley backstory. Hmm. Tm, mm-hmm. TM. Okay, so by September 1956, Coley moved back to Sverdlovsk and entered um, at UPI for physics and technology. So everyone in this story so far is just like really smart. Yeah,
1: these guys are fucking geniuses. What the fuck's going on? (laughs) You're telling me something's bad happening to these guys, right? Sadly. Uh oh. Next. Cool, does he? (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I'm introducing my theory before we even get into this i know dick all about this coley did it and he's a genius and he found a way to obscure every kind of evidence to make it incomprehensible to any kind of investigation okay boom coley
0: solved anyway thank you for tuning in uh we don't have to do this anymore it's solved
1: i call my theory coley's (laughs) clues oh yeah this is great by the way yeah brilliant
0: brilliant Next member of Dyatlov's group is 23-year-old Rustem Slobodin. Rustem. He goes by rustic. He was born on January 11th, 1936 in Moscow. He was described as athletic and honest and a man of few words. In 1944, he moved to Sverdlovsk with his parents. In 1953, he finished secondary school for boys number 27 in Sverdlovsk with a silver medal.
1: Most Russian shit I've ever heard. So Soviet. That is fucking great. Yep. School number, like, whatever.
0: Secondary school for boys number 27. <laughs> <laughs> and he got a silver medal, because in Russia, you get medals.
1: Mm. Hmm. Silver, though.
0: Silver, yeah. He's, like, okay. Yeah. He's, like, you know, better than average, I guess-ish. No
1: He's no Coley.
0: He's no Coley. Coley. At the same time, he graduated from music school, where he specialized as a violinist. And he also played the mandolin and guitar, possibly other instruments, because, I mean, he's rustic, and he went to the school for boys number 27, so. Mm -hmm. In 1959, he graduated from UPI, specializing in mechanical engineering. UPI offered for him to stay to further his doctoral studies, but rustic decided to continue working as a designer at Sverdlovsk Research Institute of Chemical Engineering, which was a pre-graduate position that he had obtained this institute worked on development of special equipment for radiochemical plants. After working there for four months, he was granted an unpaid leave to go hiking with Diaslav and the rest of the group.
1: I'm just going to say, all these guys have very concerning, mm-hmm. dangerous-sounding jobs. Yeah. Like some like experimental level dangerous-sounding mm-hmm. jobs.
0: Yeah, and they like pretty much are because this is like pretty much that rush during the Cold War where Russia is trying to Build nuclear facilities and stuff as fast as they can because they want to compete with the states. There so, is some kind of race. That's crazy.
1: Some kind of weapons race. No way. There's got to be a better
0: name for it. Cold War. Also, fun fact: people, arms sprint. People think Cold War <laughs> is coined after the Cold War because it was a Cold War, mm-hmm. but it was only the term Cold War was coined like a month into the Cold War.
1: Oh wow! Really. <clears throat>
0: yeah Yeah. um some guy in the states i don't know if he was like a politician or part of government or something but he said it in a speech because he said that just because this war is happening and there's not like guns and bloodshed yet yeah yeah, that doesn't mean it's not a war so it's a cold war and that was in like april so it's only a month in
1: well i mean like that makes sense because if we if what we're what's happening now with With, like, the West and Russia and, you know, all all the actors with Russia, I guess. Like, whether it's China and stuff like that, we don't know yet. Mm. They've already coined it the second Cold War. Mm -hmm. Like, there's already guys who've already said it. Mm -hmm. So, we would look back and have to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's crazy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. History repeats itself, man.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully it stays cold, you know what I mean? Freezing. Yeah.
0: Okay, this next member, 23-year-old Nikolai... Thibaut Brignole. Tibo for short. Oh, dope. Was born on July 5th, 1935, in the city of Asniki. Sneaky hm. boy. Sneaky boy. He was described as energetic, friendly, and funny. He attended UPI where he was a member of the tourist club. And in 1958, he graduated with a degree in industrial and civic construction and went to work as a foreman in the Department of Mechanization number no. one devastatingly when he told his mother that he was going to go on this trip with that love in the group she was adamant that he didn't go she, just for whatever reason she was like no like don't i don't want you to go on this trip like mother's instinct man and he said everything would be okay and it would be his last big trip
1: yeah she fucking knew something i'm telling you right now She's like, i smell it in the air oh, there's no, I... so-
0: soviet bloodshed coming
1: i think i bet he said something to his mom like, this isn't, like, a normal trip.
0: We are going up there to get samples from minerals.
1: We are going deep underground.
0: We are going deep into the Ural Mountains. Is that Russian? What is that accent? French?
1: <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> a French-Russian.
0: I should just shut the fuck up. What the fuck was that, Brian?
1: <laughs> the fuck kind of accent are you using right now? Stop.
0: Okay. Stop, I'll... bro. <laughs> Look how I'll stop, bro. The next member of the 12 group is 21-year-old Yuri Yudin, who was born on August 19th, 1937. He grew up in the village of Tabori. His fr- his friends, no, his family consisted of his mother, sister, and his older brother, who was head of the family since their father had, quote, disappeared during warfare in
1: 1942. Yeah, he didn't disappear. He's no. He probably got blown up. Yeah, probably. Yeah.
0: In 1947, the family moved to the village of Yemelyazevka.
1: God damn, I'm impressed by you.
0: Despite <laughs> moving to Yemelyazevka, mm-hmm. Yuri continued his studies at the secondary school in the village of Tabori for the next 10 years, which was 40 kilometers from home.
1: Secondary school number 27.
0: Probably. <laughs> During the school year, he lived in Tabori, where he like basically just rented part of a room to stay there. But for the holidays, he went home uh, on foot. So these very long, very exhausting walks caused health issues. Mm-hmm. But these health issues, ironically, would save his life later. So.
1: Oh, nice. hmm
0: in 1954, Yuri enrolled at UPI but had to take an academic leave because he was hospitalized for nearly six months after being diagnosed with rheumatic heart disease. And then he got sick with acute dysentery, so... Oh, Woof.
1: This guy's gone through
0: it. Do you, you know what dysentery is? No. Okay, you basically just get, like, really gnarly diarrhea. Oh. Like, you shit yourself. It's, like, mucusy and bloody.
1: Oh okay, no. This I was debating one. where I had that once. <laughs> <laughs> when did I eat lipstick?
0: No, <laughs> it's just beets. Just beets. <laughs> I'll tell you. One time I took a poo and I was so afraid, and I realized I had a, it was because I ate a whole bunch of beets the other the day before. So it wasn't just a bloody poo. It was just because I ate a lot of beets. it gave
1: give you a bit of a shock, did it?
0: Oh, I was scared. Yeah. Then Go I remembered all, all the beets I ate. <laughs> So Yuri finally recovered and he re-enrolled for his first year at UPI in September 1955, studying engineering and economics. He joined the UPI Tourist Club and went on a Category 1 hike with uh, with Doroshenko, Yuri Doroshenko. So that was the first member of the diet Love group that I talked about. Mm -hmm. And they had gone on a trip to the Cyan Mountains. And a Category 1 hike is that you were on a well-established trail the entire time. You're, okay. you're not, like, roughing it in any way. Mm-hmm. Yuri also went on a trek with uh, Igor Dyatslav across the Altai Mountains in the summer of 1958. So he was also an experienced hiker. Okay. By 1959, he was a fourth-year student at the—oh, fourth-year student at UPI and the head of the organizational sector of the UPI Tourism Club, Euro. And he was preparing for another trek with his friends. Mm-hmm. So the next person we have is 22-year-old Zenaida Kolmogoro- Kol- kolmogorova uh okay, i'm not even gonna try that <laughs> Zena, for short oh jeez
1: what's with the fucking dope nicknames mm-hmm. they get
0: the first of the two this is the first of the two women in the trip so there's only two women that go
1: Jesus christ we're gonna go h- h- hiking in the fucking mountains or is it safe don't worry one of the one of the chicks coming with us is named fucking Zena. Yeah. We'll be fine. And if anything, she, the mountains should look out.
0: <laughs> and she is badass too. Mm-hmm. So, Zina was born on January 12, 1937, in the village of Chiriumhova in Sverdlovsk. She was described as very outgoing and energetic. She attended handicraft school number 30 from right. 1951 to 54 in Kamensk Uralsky, where she received the specialty radio equipment controller.
1: that's a sick job.
0: At the same time, she did practical training at secondary school for working youth number six. In 1952, she had an internship at Avia Prom Enterprise, which I believe is like an airline or an airline production place. I'm not sure, but pretty cool. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: After graduating from secondary school in 1954, she enrolled at UPI to study radio engineering and was also a member of the UPI Tourist Department. She had recently started her pre-graduation practice at a radio production factory, but asked for some time off to go on this expedition with the Diet group. She was an experienced hiker who had her share of difficulties on these trips. So during one of the trips, she was fucking bitten by a viper. Well... And despite this yeah. horrible pain and absolute suffering from being bit by a fucking viper. She refused to lighten her load, uh, unwilling to cause hardship to anyone else, and she just fucking trekked on.
1: Alright. Well, that's fucking sick.
0: It sounds like something Xena would do.
1: It, it does. <clears throat> Zeno would probably bite the viper's head off.
0: Probably, yeah, exactly. Yeah. grabbed it and ripped it in half and then cooked it on the fire.
1: <laughs> Made a tourniquet for her leg with it.
0: <laughs> 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 I was going to say, well, the s- do snakes have bones?
1: Yes. <laughs> I'm going with yes. Like a spine, probably, right? Yeah, they got bones. Like, there's snake heads and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Okay, we're done. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, Xena <laughs> didn't... If not,
1: they're <laughs> worms.
0: <laughs> ew!
1: It's just a toothy worm.
0: Ew! <laughs> 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 He's going to bite you. I sound no, nope, okay. So anyway, Zina, she didn't know until the first day of the trip with the Diet 12 group that her former boyfriend, Shenko, was also gonna be there. They had recently broken up and they seemed to be on decent terms, but apparently she had written to her friend that it was really hard to be there with him since, quote, We are together and yet we're not together. So physically on a trip together, but not like a couple anymore. So right. Zena was feeling a little bit sad.
1: Okay, sad Zena.
0: She's still fucking sick though. Yes,
1: Just fucking carrying around her dead <laughs> snake with her still
0: <clears throat> on a stick. On a stick. Next, we have twenty-year-old Ludmila Dubinia, the other woman in the group and the youngest. She was born on May twelfth,
1: nineteen thirty-eight. Wow.
0: I was like, um, (laughs) I can pick it up. It's your birthday. That's my birthday, May 12th. Someone, everyone send me a present.
1: I have to ask you what your middle name is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Okay. So she was born on May 12th, 1938. (laughs) Same, I'm that old. In (laughs) Kegelstrov. And because of her father's work, the family moved around a lot. It seems to be a common theme for these people. She moved to Sverdlovsk in 1953 and graduated from school number 13 in 1955. She then enrolled at UPI to study civil engineering, specializing in urban construction and economy. Mm -hmm. She loved to sing and to take pictures. She was a very good photographer. And a lot of the photos we see and have from this trek is because she took so many. She was also an excellent hiker. During a previous hike through the eastern Cyan Mountains in 1957, she was accidentally shot in the leg by a hunter who accompanied the students, and she just suffered through it, Um, didn't really complain, and just hiked back even though it was so fucking painful and lengthy, and she just braved through it.
1: The fucking hunter is probably a fucking idiot.
0: Well, yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, I shot Ludmina. Yeah,
1: you can... You walk it off, right? And she did. Yep.
0: The last person to join Zaislav in the group is a fourth-year UPI student named Slavic Bienko, but I'm not going to talk about him too much because you'll see why. So... All right. That makes up 10 hikers, all of which were experienced hikers from UPI. They're very smart kids, and thus a perfect group for this expedition. Mm-hmm. So, we've again, we've got... Igor, Shenko, Krivo, Kohli, Rustic, Tebow, Yuri, Zina, Luda, and Slavic.
1: Okay.
2: Do you like horror movies? Do you like hanging out with your friends? Do you like having a laugh? Do you like podcasts? Well, you should check out our podcast, Spoils of Horror. We're not a review show. We're a horror movie hangout where we talk about movies that are lost, forgotten, popular, and bizarre, all in the scary realm. You can listen to our podcast while you're doing just about anything. You could be washing your dishes, you could be washing your cat, you could be washing your genitals. (laughs) (laughs) All forms of genitals (laughs) accepted. (laughs) We are a fully inclusive genitalia show. Yes, we are the number one ideal podcast for washing your genitals. Our genital yelp reviews are unsurpassed. Five and a half stars. (laughs) You don't want to know where that half came from. uh... (laughs) Now that you know that, check us out on all major platforms. You can search for Spoils of Horror on all social media sites. Come and hang out with us. We'd love to see you. And your genitals. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.
0: With a group together, dietlov's team sat down to design the route through the Ural Mountains. Their goal was to reach Gora Otor- Otorten in the northern regions of Sverdlovsk. The, quote, route they planned on taking was very vague. Plus, they planned on hiking it at the end of January to the beginning of February, which is the most difficult time to hike.
1: It's just drawn in crayon. It just says, up. And it has <laughs> a little doodle of them. Celebrating on top of a little mountain. Stick
0: people, of course. Stick people, obviously. Yeah. Yep. That's and a very,
1: very intricately detailed USSR flag.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shitty fluted. Shitty fluted. So yeah, this is the most difficult time to hike. January, end of January into the beginning of February. So this makes sense when you have worries from family members like Tibos, who are saying like, "Oh my god, I don't want you to go." i do not even worry about it. It'll be fine. It's my last big hike. And also on top of it, you know, this vague idea of the route and the harsh conditions is just asking for a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So the area of the Urals that the, quote, route went through was not sufficiently studied. There weren't any detailed public maps of the area. Igor had to ask an acquaintance of his who was like a geologist and a pilot to help him like sort of develop a route that they could take because the sports club and the Sverdlovsk route commission didn't have a map of the area where Igor planned to lead his group.
1: Oh, that's your first red flag right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So he had to design one and submit it and stuff. So he talked to this pilot friend or whatever and pitched the route idea that he had sort of developed with some guy to the rest of Diatlov group but no one in the group could completely agree on the best route to take. So Igor said he'd finalize the route and make sure it was solid and good and whatever. And he'd send it to, to SRC, which is the Sverdlovsk, Sverdlovsk Route Commission. Uh, he sent it to them. He'd get approval. And apparently he never did that, though. Okay. Yeah. So despite that and the like associated dangers with hiking at that time of year and just all of the intensities that come with an expedition like this, the group was approved by the SRC on January 23rd, 1959. And they were issued their route book, which listed their course as following the number five trail. I tried to look this up to see what the number five trail was, if it had already been mapped out Mm -hmm. or what. I assume it's a previously mapped out route since uh, Diet 12 never submitted his route. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't think that they followed number five. I think that they were going on whatever Igor's plan was.
1: Okay, so they just straight up lied to the commission.
0: I can't say yes or no, but I can say that...
1: Potentially they did.
0: Yeah, like something doesn't line up here. And Igor Dydzlov did not do his due diligence there. Fuck
1: damn it, Igor.
0: Yeah. So the group found out last minute that Slavic couldn't join them. So that's the last member that I had mentioned, Slavic Beniko. And I was like, I'm not going to talk about him because he doesn't really matter. (laughs) Yeah. So they had found out last minute he can't come because UPI's dean's office didn't allow him to. And this was likely due to some sort of problems with his studies.
1: It could be a medical problem such as him having a horseshoe up his (laughs) ass. Right. Yeah.
0: (gasps) So then right before the group of nine now is about to head out, they get this last minute addition to their trek. It's a man named Semyon Zolotoryov. And he was originally supposed to go on a totally different expedition, like a whole different group, had nothing to do with Dyatlov, but was changed to Dyatlov's group. Semyon was born on February 2nd, 1921, in the village of Udabnoy. So it made him 37 years old at the time of this trip. So he was much older than the rest of the group. And More recently, he had worked as a phys ed teacher at various schools, but he had a military background as well. At 20, Semyon was drafted into the Red Army in October 1941. The Red Army is the Armed Forces of Soviet Russia. Mm -hmm. And upon arrival at the unit, he was sent to the School of Junior Commanders. After two months of training, he was awarded the rank of corporal from February to March 1942 as a squad leader, he took part in quote, construction of defensive fortification of Rostov. So, Rostov is a city. Okay, I don't know. He was situated there to fortify the city. I guess mm-hmm. he fought in the war from October fifth to nineteen. Uh, sorry, October fifth, nineteen forty-two to the end, where he had fought in all kinds of brigades and battalions. Um, apparently, he was never wounded or shell shocked and he was often one of one of only a few that would get out of battle alive.
1: Yeah, cuz yeah, they they have they have a a military doctrine of essentially just send as many as you can until they run out of bullets. Yeah. Like
0: <laughs> so for example, there was one battle and he was one of 20 men who survived out of a brigade of nearly 500 men. Yeah. And like he, he did this multiple times, so he also had a horseshoe up his ass for a while. Mm-hmm. At the end of the war, he was awarded the Order of the Red Star, which is awarded for extraordinary valor in defense of the Soviet Union. And he was awarded three medals, one for the defense of Stalingrad, one for the capture of Konigsberg.
1: Dude fought in Stalingrad? hmm Jesus Christ. Christ. And
0: won for the victory over Germany in the Great Patriotic War.
1: Okay, yeah. So this, this guy really does have a horseshoe up his ass. Those are not easy. <laughs> no. Those were, those were like and he literally was just tw- sending waves of people.
0: By the end of the war, he was 23. Like, he's a baby. Yeah. He's a baby. Yep. So interestingly, Semyon told the Dietolup group that his name was Alexander. And in diary entries, he's referred to as Sasha K., so that's what I'm going to call him from now on, Sasha K. Okay. On documents pertaining to the expedition, so you have to do like a bunch of paperwork and stuff because it's fucking Soviet Russia. He lied about certain details. Like, for example, he sometimes wrote his birthday as February 1st, other times he wrote it as Fe- February 2nd. And this is interesting because there's always been heavy speculation and theories that Semyon uh, Alexander, Sasha K, whatever his name is, mm-hmm might not be his real name and he had assumed someone else's identity during the war. Or he was trying to, like, very hard to veil his real life and hide accurate details. Hmm. So there will be more details on that little conspiracy later. Don't you worry. But Mm -hmm. just, yeah. It's also strange that he was a last-minute addition to Die Club's group. And it's like, I don't know who said he should go in this group. I don't know why he switched into this group. Whatever the reason is, it's weird because he did not have anything in common with the rest of these kids. And he was so much older that, like, he wasn't in the same education or employment field. The only thing he had in common was hiking. Mm -hmm. And hiking was only a a hobby or whatever that he had recently gotten into. So it's weird that he was put in this group last minute instead of a group of people who have, like, similar demographic and interests and stuff.
1: Yeah, he just doesn't fit in at all
0: Mm-mm. so yeah. it's, it's like just a weird. how do you
1: do fellow kids meme,
0: right yeah it's just weird it just doesn't really fit and it's just something to keep in mind so i don't know yeah. anyways it's january 23rd 1959 and the diets Club group have their route book in their possession and they've got this stranger sasha k as a last minute addition at first the group really didn't even want him to join But they felt that they couldn't refuse Sasha K because there was originally supposed to be 10 people. But with Slavic dropping out last minute, they consider it a sign that 10 people were supposed to go on this trek. Mm -hmm. Quote, thus, as we were 10, we remained 10. Okay. Mm
1: -hmm. That sounds like a fucking last words (laughs) bark type situation.
0: I mean, this was written in the diary and the diary was pretty much their last words. Oh, God. So the group frantically got their gear and supplies together to leave Sverdlovsk to the point that some members forgot to pack things like extra sweaters, some money, salt, like just random stuff like that that they would need. I forgot my salts. My fucking salt. <laughs> so they were rushing around like crazy and they finally boarded train number 45 at 8.05 p.m. with literally seconds to spare. Mm-hmm. They were alongside another group of hikers, the Blinov group. So they all hung out on the train together, singing songs while Rustic played the mandolin. And a lot of the songs that they learned actually came from Sasha K. Mm-hmm. Probably because he's a fucking old man compared to them. And also he's in the army. And like, literally, what else do you do? Especially when you're traveling. Yeah. In <laughs> your brigade, you're just all fucking singing. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, on the train, they just took naps. the guys talked and they swore that they'd give up cigarettes for the whole trip. and everyone talked together about the trip and pondered what it would be like and what was in store for them. they were they were pretty excited. They all they had traveled 388 kilometers, which is 241 miles north, and arrived at Serov station at 739 a.m on January 24th. They were in Sarov for 11 hours, and they had a mixed experience here. Quote, at the station, we were met with hell of a hospitality. They didn't allow us into the building. The policeman stares at us suspiciously. There is no crime or vandalism in the city as it is supposed to be in times of communism. Okay. Yeah, so immediately very hostile. Yep. And then fucking Crevo decided that he was going to sing a song outside the train station and make an ass of himself and like put his cap out like he was looking for change and the police immediately arrested him. <laughs> and they arrested him for quote deception and quote disturbing the peace. All right. So then the group had to go and bail him out. Mm-hmm. And then after they bailed him out, the police were like you have to get the fuck out of this train station. Like we don't want you in here. You're being a you're being a bunch of disruptive <sighs> Kids. So they had to try to find a place to stay while they waited for their next train. But they had the fucking worst time trying to find somewhere. So they basically were just wandering around the station trying to see where they could hang out. And they found a school that greeted them very pleasantly. Hmm. Quote We were welcomed warmly in the school near the railway station. The steward, she is also a janitor, boiled some water and helped us with everything we needed for the preparation of the trek. So at least I found one nice lady here. Yeah. They spent time prepping and cleaning their gear. Xena was feeling a bit blue and homesick, so she wrote a letter to her family asking them to write her in Visai, which is uh, a future stop. Then the group spent some time with the students from the school who were absolutely mesmerized by their tales of hiking and skiing and camping, and they were asking, like, a 9,000 questions because that's what curious children do.
1: Mm-hmm. That's their
0: job. <laughs> I'm a kid. That's my job. <laughs> and when it was time for them to board the next train to take them to their next destination, the kids were like yelling and screaming and crying because they didn't want them to go. Yeah, there was it was like the best and day the ever. Police
1: came in and arrested all the kids for <laughs> disturbing the peace.
0: At six forty-seven p.m., they boarded train number eighty-one. On the train, a drunk passenger confronted the guys in the group, yelling that they had stolen a bottle of vodka from him and demanded it back. They -hmm. tried to ignore him, but the drunken passenger kept insisting that they were thieves. And this continued to the point that the conductor had to take the drunk guy and the Diaslav group to the police station for, quote, disturbing the peace. So this incident is interesting because, again, they're involved with the police. Mm Mm-hmm. And also because Igor Dyatlov had made a note to buy vodka. And if for some reason he didn't or couldn't buy vodka, then it's possible that he or one of the other guys in the group stole some from the drunk passenger.
1: Uh.
0: And it's speculation, obviously, mm-hmm. but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. And something else weird about this trip on the train. Mm-hmm. Is that Igor had only purchased nine train tickets? There's ten of them, so Lydia, the youngest, uh, the girl, mm-hmm. she apparently had to hide under the train seat the whole trip. I guess so, like no one asked for her ticket or something. Yeah,
1: because they would come, they would come up and down the, the mm-hmm. rows,
0: and she like would like was like hidden, <laughs> like under backpacks and shit.
1: Maybe there were a bit of fucking hoodlums.
0: So like, it's just weird because. I- like, Slavic did drop out, mm-hmm. but the plan was always for 10 anyway, and he dropped out last minute, and then they were immediate- he was immediately replaced with Semyon, or Sasha K. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it didn't. it's not like he wouldn't have had 10 tickets. So it's just weird.
2: Yeah,
1: it is very strange.
0: And then he, like, you'll see that I am kind of painting this picture of ways that Igor Daratlov is maybe not the best leader. Mm -hmm. but yeah I just don't think it's impossible that him or one of the guys did steal this guy's vodka yeah just again painting a picture On this train ride, the group traveled another 134 kilometers, or 82 miles, north, arriving outside Ivdel at 11.42 p.m. They spent the night in the train station, sleeping and taking turns watching their backpacks and equipment. They boarded a bus around 6 a.m. on January 25th to go into the city of Ivdel, where they were dropped off at the post office to stamp their route books. Around 7 a.m., a small crowded bus took both the Dyatlov and Blinov groups on a 90-kilometer, 56-mile trip north to the village of Visay, where they arrived at around 2 p.m. The group got their route books stamped for the second time at the post office in Visay, parted ways from the Blinov group, went to see the film Symphony in Gold, and then hunkered down in the, quote, hotel they were staying in where they prepped for their expedition and ate warm loaves of bread, goulash, and drank tea to keep their energy levels up for the first day of hiking. Mm. I say "quote hotel" because the group diary shows an entry where someone wrote, "quote We slept in we slept in so-called hotel. Two people per bed. Sasha K and Krivo slept on the floor between beds."
1: Okay. <laughs> wasn't very, very f- good
0: wasn't very fancy this place <laughs> also there's a pattern where sasha k and Krivo get the shit end of the stick when it comes to sleeping
1: yeah i imagine i imagine uh sasha k's fucking yeah he's like Im- oh i've seen way fucking worse i'll sleep on the floor
0: and he's immediately an outcast anyway because he's not a fellow student of upi he's mm-hmm. not their friend he's some weirdo fucking guy who just joined them yeah but then Krivo, i don't know like he he always gets you will see this. It's the shittiest. And In his
1: diary, it just says, Dear diary, I am in love with Sasha K. Aww. I will sleep on floor with him. That was French. I will
0: suck his dick. <laughs> <laughs> I love me a K croissant. Croissant? From the group diary, in an entry that was written by Zina, quote, We had a tearful goodbye with the Blinov group. The mood sank. In general, I am very, very sad. We are extremely lucky. The symphony in gold was showing. We left all of our things and packs at the hotel and went to the club. The image was a bit fuzzy, but it didn't overshadow the pleasure at all. Crivo, sitting next to me, was smacking his lips and ooing with delight. This is real happiness. So difficult to describe with words. The music is just fabulous. The mood after the movie greatly improved. Igor Daitrov was unrecognizable. He tried to dance and even started singing Oh Jackie Joe.
1: Okay. (laughs) What the fuck is Oh Jackie Joe?
0: Oh Jackie Joe. Okay. Symphony in Gold is like a Russian figure skating musical romance movie. I think. Mm. So. Uh,
1: Like Blades of Glory.
0: Not even as good though. I don't care. I love Blades of Glory. <laughs> I love that movie so much. <laughs> so, yeah, that entry was just to show that they did, they, their moods were pretty low. They were a little bit depressed. They had to say goodbye to their other group. Um, it's also just hard to be traveling so much, so fast, so randomly, sleeping in stations and all of that. Mm-hmm. then you get to like this quote hotel shit and you have to share a bed or some people have to sleep on the floor. It all
1: sounds so exhausting yeah. just to embark on a trip. Yeah, You that haven't is even started hiking yet specifically to be exhausted. Yeah. Like it's just, Oh man, I'm so sick of traveling before you even get to the point where you're supposed to start your travel.
0: Exactly. And that's part of this picture picture that I'm painting of like, they haven't even started hiking yet. They're already just crammed together, flying by the seat of their f- pants in these stressful situations where they are already exhausted so mm-hmm. there's this roller coaster of emotions happening so they're they're sad because this other group is leaving and they're in a shit hotel then they get to see symphony in gold so it's kind of exciting so they get a little bit more invigorated and to the point that igor Dyatlov who's like very sort of laid back and like reserved is like dancing and singing oh jackie joe mm-hmm. and it's just a roller coaster for these people. And yeah, they're not even hiking yet. Yeah. So the, after the theater, they go back to their shitty hotel and sleep Mm -hmm. and the group got up the next day at 9am. So January 26th. And then at about 10, the group sent their letters and postcards to their friends and family. And Igor wrote multiple letters and was also supposed to send telegrams with mandatory checkpoint notifications of their journey to the upi sports club and the routing commission city committee for physical culture and sport
1: all right
0: but there's no evidence that he did that he did not send any checkpoints no so that's what i'm saying here is when i'm like just painting this picture trying to establish a pattern here with igor who is the leader of this group and just i don't know if he's not taking it seriously or if he's out of his element or what
1: can't some checkpoints because i lied about our route you know yeah
0: know where we're going guys
1: that might be a part of it but
0: like I'm you're already like... going to fucking mail postcards and stuff so you <sighs> he's just <laughs> he's not a very good leader right now it's very annoying After lunch at 1.30 p.m., the stamps in their route books show that the group hitched a ride to the District 41 settlement, which is 40 kilometers or 25 miles north of Visay. And they had to ride up to District 41 on this rickety logging truck that had no brakes or shock absorbers. And they had to ride in the open back of the truck, which was covered by a dingy, shitty tent thing, so that they're exposed to the elements the whole time. And the wind is just whipping through for forty kilometers How straight. Does it have
1: no brakes.
0: Because it's Soviet Russia, in the middle so what of do nowhere.
1: They do they just fucking hope they hit a log roll?
0: What? I think so. Jesus. Like I don't really know, but like dog shit truck. <laughs> so they're freezing, and this is forty kilometers or twenty-five miles that they're whipping through the mountains basically mm-hmm. and then um a lot in the truck riding along with the hikers was this man named Alexei hatanzziev who oversaw quote cultural and propaganda work with the local population. love it and <laughs> he was traveling to- I want
1: his job that sounds like fun to me
0: <laughs> he was traveling yeah just wait he was traveling to district 41 as well yeah not to hike but to organize a film screening. All right. So around 4.30 p.m., they arrive at District 41, where they were warmly greeted by civilian workers. And for some reason, in the diaries, they are very poignant to say, they weren't prisoners. Don't worry. They're civilian workers. They're not prisoner (laughs) workers. We're not at a gulag.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure.
0: (laughs) So in District 41, there was no radios or newspapers. Mm -hmm. So I think seeing people was very exciting. You have, yeah. like this whole truck that all of a sudden comes in with ten like fresh faced hikers, their kids, they're excited. So I think everyone in town was like, Oh
1: Yeah, because like outside what's of going Moscow, on? like Russia's just crazy expansive. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, these people are living way up north, pushing the Ural Mountains, basically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No radio, no newspaper, and they're just like, Oh my god, please tell us everything. <laughs> so people from the real world. <laughs> yeah, do you picture the little aliens in the machine, the claw machine in Toy Story.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, the group was staying in District 41 Dormitory, which was managed by a man named Ognev, aka The Beard. Apparently, he had this huge, gorgeous ginger beard that everyone was obsessed with, so they just called him The Beard. All right. And, yeah, everyone loved The Beard. Um, He was very hospitable. He was sweet. He was funny. People loved him. Mm -hmm. So... The Dai 12 group and the locals hung out. They sang songs, um, played on their guitars, taught them some Mansi words and phrases.
1: Some Mansi words.
0: So Manzi, M-A-N-S-I, is the group of indigenous people that live in the area, um, into the mountains of this oh, area. Okay. The people they were hanging out with weren't Mansi, but because it's a tiny settlement... They were always interacting with Manzi people. Mm -hmm. And if you're in Visay and you're traveling up into the mountains where Manzi people live, you're seeing their signs and settlements and stuff. So so they were pragmatic. They're familiar with Manzi culture and language. Mm -hmm. So just to like kill time and have fun, they were teaching Dad's love group Manzi words and phrases. Mm -hmm. And in the evening, everyone was quote treated to the film screening, which included Quote, cultural programs and quote, Soviet movies. Okay. One of the movies is called to see this shit. My Apprenticeship. Another movie yeah. is called Est Tavkoi Perin. And once again, they were watched Symphony in Gold. <laughs> oh. So, you know, they watched two essentially propaganda movies and then. One actual like Soviet film, yeah,, uh, then they retired for the night.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: quote, after the cinema, everyone was very tired and wanted to sleep. We lay down with Zena on a spring bed. It's a dream come true. And the guys are all on the floor. Mood is bad, and probably will be for two more days, evil as hell, what? Right. so, I'm pretty sure this entry was written by Ludia, who's the youngest girl. and Still a
1: little bit of a crush on Xena, for sure.
0: <laughs> so I think she says it's a dream come true because they get to sleep on a spring bed.
1: Oh, okay. I
0: had to read this a few times, though, because it's just all over the place. It's a dream come true, but then everyone's in a bad mood and it's evil and whatever. Right,
1: right, right, because her and Xena are just good friends.
0: Yeah, so her and Xena are just good friends. They're the sharing a bed.
1: History will remember them as... Best of friends.
0: (laughs) Constant companion. (laughs) Loyal companion. Loyal companion. So they get to sleep on the bed, probably because they're the only two women, so, you know, the men are just being gents.
1: Uh And
0: I think it's a dream come true because it's a spring bed, so it's not like some shitty sack of hay or something. Right. And uh, all the guys had to sleep on the floor, so they're like probably not the happiest about that. I don't know why the mood is bad, though. And I don't think she means evil as hell, as in, like... Actually, evil. I think it's a translation thing.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Just like a turn of phrase. Like, yeah. Like I, it's, maybe it it's just stopped. like
0: horrible or terrible or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think it actually means evil, but I can't fucking read Russian, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But basically, again, showcasing this roller coaster yeah these people are on.
1: Yeah. It's a long trip.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's nonstop. The only time you have downtime is to watch the propaganda film.
1: And lie on a floor, <laughs>
0: yeah, so, as you'll remember, maybe hopefully, Yuri Yudin the was the guy who lived in Tabori village and had to walk forty kilometers to go home
1: right, with the like <laughs> pre-existing conditions, yeah, yeah.
0: so right. Tons of health problems. So after that dog shit trip, from Visa to district 41 where they're in that rickety fucking truck and they're uncovered in the back with wind whipping around and bouncing around because there's no shock absorbers
2: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) after that trip yeah he felt like shit like his condition worsened his sciatic nerve was getting activated and he had like a really bad sciatica
1: okay so
0: to continue an expedition that was going to be this like difficult and very physical. Mm -hmm. It was going to be impossible without becoming a burden if he continued to feel this way. So he talked with the group and he decided that he would go with them to their next destination the following day, which is a site called second Northern. And it's basically an abandoned geological site. So he said, I'll hike with you up there Mm -hmm. and if I don't feel better by the time I get, we get up there, I'll turn around. But I want to see how I feel actually hiking because they haven't actually gone hiking yet.
1: Yeah, they've just taken a really long, mm-hmm. strenuous trip.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So he's like, we'll do that. It's not going to be too hard and strenuous on me. When I get to 2nd Northern, we'll see how I feel. I'll make my final decision.
1: Right. You don't want to find out at like 3rd <clears throat> or 4th Northern that you can't make it. You don't want to embarrass no. your alumni of the 27th elementary school (laughs) by by stumbling on your trek to the 3rd northern. (laughs) You don't. You hop right back on to train 6 and you get back home to province (laughs) 1.
0: That's why I had to include all of those. So Soviet. I'm obsessed with it. It's
1: great. Of course, everything's fucking brutalist. (laughs) Architecture. Of course, everything's numbered. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the next day is January 27th. And the group prepped for their first day of hiking. So they were sad to leave the beard, mainly because he was so hospitable. His hospitality was amir- amazing. And they were sad because he was always making them like fresh, warm bread and it was delicious. Aww.
1: Um, I love the beard. He sounds I know. great.
0: They loved him too. So they were sad yeah. to leave him. But, you know, he took some photos with them and gave them all hugs and he wrote some Mansi words for them to study and learn in the group diary. And he's just he's fucking sick. Yeah. So before leaving Visay, Igar stated Igar, Igor <laughs> Igar, yeah. stated that he would send a telegram to the UPI sports club as soon as they returned to Vizhai after the trip. Okay. And they would return, most likely, February twelfth. That's what he said. So at 4 PM, Uncle Slava, who is a local horse carter, Loaded the group's backpacks and equipment onto the horse-drawn sled, which the group followed on skis. And okay. Uncle Slava is another character here who everyone loved. Mm-hmm. He was, like, funny and kind. He was very charismatic. And they just had an absolute riot hiking to Second Northern with this guy. Okay. So the uh, what's also nice about District 41 is that they only had one horse, and they lent the only horse in town, to this group so that they could haul their backpacks to Second Northern. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also why Uncle Slava had to go because he's like, you better, I'm going to make sure I get my fucking horse back. I need
1: that thing (laughs) back, let me tell you.
0: It's our only horse. Yeah. (laughs) It's our only horse. (laughs) It's a one-horse town.
1: Oh. (gasps) Really is. Well.
0: Woo! It's a one, no, sorry. It's a one-horse district.
1: (laughs) One-horse district. Yeah, yeah. This is horse number one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, this the first day of hiking, it was a gorgeous day. It was very warm and sunny. It was five degrees Celsius. It was awesome. So the group was happy and excited for their first day of hiking. And they talked about how grateful they were to have met so many nice people in District 41, which, you know, started to seem rare because they were just running into trouble and meeting shitty people. So they mm-hmm. were just happy to have this really good experience. Mm-hmm. And the trek took them along Lozva River and Ushma River. Up to the 2nd Northern. And the site at 2nd Northern, which is the abandoned geological site, consisted of 24 houses and only one was suitable to spend the night. Quote. Many houses, warehouses, premises, old vehicles, and machine tools. Everything's been abandoned since 1952. The houses are all destroyed. There's only one with a stove and glass on the windows. The place is picturesque. Lazva River is wide, lots of limestone. Uncle Slava says that in the summer you can cross the river. Many warm, hot springs. Sagebrush is not entirely frozen, and there are places under the snow where water is not frozen. End quote. Okay. So they're still happy with it.
1: I love how detailed these fucking diary entries are. They
0: have nothing else to do. Yeah, I guess. I love it too because it puts us right there with them.
1: Like, when would you visit a place and be like, you guys got water running underground even in the winter?
0: Even though there's four feet of snow, is there still running water? Yeah. I'm curious, asking for a friend. Yeah. And Uncle Slava is like, let me tell you. There's this is
1: my horse. I'm coming Mini
0: back warm you. hot spring. Sagebrush It's not entirely frozen. There are places under the snow where water is not frozen. Hmm. Uncle Slava.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love
0: so they started a fire with wood boards. Apparently, several people hurt their hands on old nails, but they didn't <laughs> care and everything was great.
1: Yeah, yeah it's fine. It's fine. It's fine.
0: <laughs> so they stayed up talking and joking around until 3 a.m. So they were just having a party. Mm-hmm. So during that hike to Second Northern, Yuri Yudin knew that he would have to leave the next day. His sciatic sciatica was worse than ever. Uh, he was just suffering, so he knew he would not be able to do this whole trek. Yeah. So, in the morning, January 28th, Yuri went with some of the members of the group to gather a few mineral samples from the geological site. Mm-hmm. Um, They found only pyrite veins in the rocks, but they drilled for some samples anyway. 99% sure pyrite is fool's gold.
1: I think so. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right.
0: <laughs> why wouldn't I look that up? Because <laughs> I was so confident. That's why.
1: Yeah. Well, you've done it. You guys got quesadillas, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> For anyone who's missing out on yeah, that well, one. Yeah, well,
0: everyone, you mean, who's missing out on... Yeah, you everybody. You guys got quesadillas, right?
1: Okay, like, eight or nine years ago, I went to fucking Eastside Mario's, and I got a quesadilla. I guarantee it. I'm pretty sure, and I don't miss or remember. I guarantee like it.
0: I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, we recently went with some friends, and uh, I confidently didn't look at the menu, and she's like, you know what you want? I'm like... You guys got quesadillas, right? And no, they didn't. So then I had to look at the menu. Anyway.
0: Oh, my God. You're so bad at delivering stories.
1: I was being expeditious.
0: (laughs) We go to Isa and Mario's. The waitress comes over. Buddy hasn't looked at the menu. And the waitress is like, okay, is everyone ready? And the three friends, like me and my two friends, We're, like, closing our menus to be like, yes, we're ready. And Dyson just looks at the waitress and goes, you guys got quesadillas, right? (laughs) And she was like, "Um, no, we're not Mexican. Yeah. And you were like, oh, hmm." you were so, so certain that they had quesadillas. I was positive. So they brought you a club wrap instead, and they (laughs) stuck the most obnoxious (laughs) Italian flag toothpick in that thing. (laughs) There you go. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I just want to point out, they're not a fucking, they're, they're an Italian restaurant, they served me a fucking club wrap, so. You
0: guys got quesadillas, Yeah, right?
1: why can't you have a quesadilla?
0: Long story short, I'm going to have to make in a quesadilla.
1: Oh, yeah, you do.
0: <laughs> Did you Google pyrite?
1: Yes, that and, what and you were doing? right.
0: Okay, so, yeah, Yuri's like, I can't fucking continue on this trek, but I'm here, I'll take some geological samples. They only got fool's gold, whatever. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. so he takes his fool's gold back to the like site where everyone else is he Mm -hmm. says his goodbyes to the group uh and ludia were especially sad that he had to leave they loved him they got along so good with him because he is just a fucking sweetheart Mm -hmm. and before he leaves igor told him that even though when they were in district 41 um he said that he originally expected to be back in Visae by February 12th, but he actually expected to be longer than that.
1: Okay. What the so, fuck's up, Yor? What yeah, are you he doing here? Yeah, he has no idea.
0: He has no idea when they'll make certain dates and when they'll even be home. Yeah, and he's just being
1: generally suspicious. I know.
0: Yeah. So Yuri is like, okay, like, whatever, good to know. Mm-hmm. But everyone in Visay or District 41 is going to report to Vizai that it's February 12th. So Yuri's like, okay, well, I'm going now. So he leaves the Diaslav group and he heads back with Uncle Slava and the horse, the one horse town. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm saying when it is a decision that saves Yuri Udin's life Mm -hmm. because he doesn't feel well. And he makes that hard decision to not continue with the group. Yeah. But the remaining members of Datla's group carried on their journey. Uh, they were taking pictures of the scenery of each other. They're keeping track of their days and experiences in the diaries. And this episode has probably been long enough, so that's where I'm going to leave it. <gasps>
1: oh, shit. <laughs> you literally said that right where our default end marker is. for.
0: Whoa, really?
1: Yeah. You called it at 16, one hour and 16 minutes. Holy fuck. Yeah. Or that's where our default tag is.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. After, at the beginning of this, I said, I know you guys, you think I would know by now.
1: (laughs) I'm really glad you don't actually sound like that. (laughs)
0: I'm going to start... This is our podcast.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Oh Ew. Oh. Please don't unsubscribe. I won't do it again. (laughs) So, yeah. You know. I'm going to leave it here. Uh, I could keep going on, honestly. But Mm -hmm. we have to stop at some point. So... Your Yudin departing from the group I think is a good place for us to stop, take a little breather. Also, like I said, this might be a three-parter. Not sure. I'm not done writing this fucking thing. I
1: think it's gonna be a three-parter. I still There's have so much detail. S-
0: because I want to... I have to. I can't help it. You
1: have to because it's a fucking huge mystery that hasn't been solved yet.
0: Exactly. If you don't
1: know these things, then you're gonna have a shitty opinion by the end of it.
0: Yeah, uninformed. Yeah. Totally. And, and also, I... There is so... People know, like, you know, quote, no the of pass incident. Mm-hmm. They have all at least heard of it or have heard the conspiracy theories that go with it. And a lot of the times it's because you listened to an episode or watched a documentary or a YouTube video or whatever mm-hmm. and heard about it in 50 minutes. So inherently it's going to push some sort of narrative at you in 50 minutes yeah. or leave out so much that there's only one or two conclusions you can draw from. Mm-hmm. And I physically can't do that. Yeah, I can't do that. There's so much information in this story. And I think that, first of all, people in the Died love group does deserve to have this story told the way it's laid out. Yeah, And also, you as a listener deserve to know as much information is pertinent to make a decision down the road when we do talk about all the crazy theories that are out there. Yeah. And it's just how I have to do it. Yeah. And we're not here to skim the surface. It's a fucking deep dive people. That's love pass summer. You recommended this. What have you done? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, next week we will pick up with the rest of the diet love group uh, Yuri's left now, so it's just the nine of them. So we'll see where their trek takes them. Uh, spoiler: things get increasingly worse. <laughs> yeah, for the for a number of reasons. Um, obviously we know that these nine hikers die, mm-hmm. but we got to hear about it. Got to hear about the trek. The trek. Mm-hmm. Hear about the tragedy. We're gonna find out about the recovery of their bodies, which was a whole fucking process in its own. and most likely the autopsy findings. Mm-hmm. So that's what's in store next week. Okay. Dyson, um, what, what are you feeling? What are you thinking so far?
1: I just I'm excited for the new episodes. I want <laughs> know I don't know that much about this story. I just know hikers go on a hike. they die.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And things didn't make sense. That's mm-hmm. actually the extent I know. Okay. That and I know you've talked about it to me before saying like, you know, things just didn't add up when they found the bike. That's all I know. I haven't seen the even like brief videos explaining this thing. All right. Yeah.
0: So you're you're you're, you're in you're in for fresh.
1: It. I'm coming in fresh. Fresh. I I'm going in cold and we're going to get hot. Are
0: you fresh or fresh frozen?
1: Fresh frozen chef.
0: Fresh frozen chef. Yes. Is this fresh? Yeah, it's fresh. It tastes frozen. Yeah, fresh frozen. Fresh frozen. (laughs) (laughs) Outdated Gordon Ramsay references. Oh yeah. (laughs) Okay, so, uh, that's how Dyson's feeling. I'm feeling good to start talking about this out loud and like getting it out of my brain. Yeah. Uh, there's still so much to research and talk to you about. So please make sure you come back next week where it's you know gets even more interesting Mm -hmm. and um you can follow us on instagram dark adaptation podcast and tell us what you're thinking what you're feeling how excited you are do you think i'm lying when i say three parts is it gonna be more is it gonna be less who knows
1: gamble unless you're gambling that it's gonna be only two parts then you're just an idiot (laughs) okay that's so true
0: (laughs) guys that's true three minimum three minimum yep (laughs) three wow okay okay i'm I'm done. Okay. I'm, I'm leaving.
1: It's just, you know what?
0: Okay. Love you guys. Uh, catch you next week. Part two. We'll catch you on the dark side.
1: Bye.